0: Welcome to this live edition of STEMO Signals. Today from Mallorca, Spain, Um, hot weather, sunshine all over the place here, but it's not necessarily a sunny outlook for the European economy, nor for the US economy, despite a very, very strong retail report coming out of the US uh, just minutes before uh, going on air here. So when we look at the recession playbook, uh, I always find it very interesting to look at energy, in the context of this recession playbook, because it is a very typical pattern to see energy performing in the months prior to a um, recession commencing. Uh, And I think we've seen that exact pattern again. The question is just whether high energy costs will lead to a very different outcome for the global economy compared to a year ago when we saw the exact same thing uh, develop uh, across energy markets. So let's have a look the energy demand and supply equation, before we get to that recession playbook, because energy is always one of the important trigger points and one of the important catalysts to watch uh, in the recession discussion. Last week, we um, had a discussion on whether the US gasoline consumption had dropped materially over the course of September and early parts of October. Uh, We get weekly numbers uh, from the uh, energy authorities in the US on the implied uh, demand for gasoline uh, across the US um, uh, consumer uh, stations. And ultimately, we ended up getting the confirmation that the false flag that we received the week prior was indeed a false flag. I highlighted why it was a false flag, and I'll show the chart again today. When we look at Actual congestion, so traffic on roads, traffic in ports, traffic in by um, uh, airlines, etc. Uh, we actually still see a very large activity, hence, a very strong demand for the actual fuel by the end of the day. So, what you have on the chart here is um, the relationship between traffic uh, in New York and then the implied uh, gasoline demand. And you can see that we had a jump of, say, roughly 900. 100,000 barrels um, in that implied uh, gasoline demand measure. And I think we will see a further uh, jump in that measure already on Thursday, Uh, since, as you can see from the light blue line, we're still running at elevated uh, traffic levels, elevated activity levels in everything that relates to transportation fuel. And therefore, when we look at the supply demand um, equation for the fourth quarter in oil space, I still think it's relatively fair to assume that the oil supply will be around 100 million barrels a day, uh, given that the Saudi Arabians have decided to cut production all the way until New Year's Eve. Um, they may decide to prolong it even further, but for now, uh, we know that they um, cut supply uh, until uh, the end of the year. And relative to the oil demand, which is now clearly uh, picking up again, also um to an extent that we haven't even seen before um, in, in nominal terms, it's it's simply a given that there will be an undersupply day in and day out through the fourth quarter. The question is whether the market has already taken this in. Um, I think it's good news, quote unquote, for those who hope for a strong energy case um, from an investment perspective, that we've seen a squeeze of all of the um, positioning that we saw being built up over the course of. Um, especially September, uh, meaning that this deficit in the oil market can now once again rule, I think, through the fourth quarter, because it is very evident that we have a deficit, uh, and without intervention, uh, both from the Biden administration or potentially from the Saudi European administration, this deficit is very true. uh, And a physically tight market will sooner or later play a role in the price action uh, in the oil market as well. And if we look at the ramifications for uh, inflation, um, I've made a very simple uh, study on uh, the Brent oil price in euros um, versus the contribution to the European inflation index. I could have done the exact same study for the US inflation index. But the point here is that Um, As you can see from the very light blue part of the light blue line, uh, the forecasted projection uh, for the contribution from energy to inflation is that energy will contribute with at least a percentage point in inflation into the early innings of 24, um, in the US even more. So the point here is this makes it a whole lot trickier to bring inflation back to target short term, at least for central banks. Uh, I think that's the exact reason why we continue to see rising interest rates um, steep curves, because central banks do not want to react uh, at, <laughs> to, to, to these rising prices in oil space, since it's very tricky for them to, um, to find a good excuse to do so. <clears throat> and when we pair that with natural gas, um, we have a potential cocktail that is very, very tricky uh, ahead of the winter again. Uh, if you look at the natural gas consumption, we're Say a week or two from um, uh, the heating season commencing, uh, meaning that uh, inventories will be uh, drawn down. Meaning that uh, we once again should expect markets to uh, have a very clear focus on the weather um, in in uh, in relation to the natural gas price. And we have seen early attempts for the natural gas price to move sharply up. Um, it has sort of moderated over the past two three trading days here, um, but. The trajectory also technically looks uh, pretty compelling for the bull case for natural mar- gas markets as well. Uh, so, ultimately, we will have a lot of pressure on the households again from rising energy costs. It is very typical that we see this ahead of the recession. Uh, and the ultimate trigger for a recession is uh, the point where households can no longer um, sort of keep up with the rising prices. Um, and in relation to that discussion, uh, I think it's very relevant to look at so-called excess savings in US households. Uh, so I've built a, um, a chart and, and a methodology uh, on how to measure excess savings uh, relative to trend. Uh, and as you can see on the chart called COVID savings and you're depleted, um, we're approaching a point where there are no excess savings left in US households. The early innings of the pandemic brought massive stimulus, massive build build up of wealth. Uh, But now we've been drawing on that wealth for, yeah, I don't know, six, seven quarters in a row, after all. Uh, And um, at the current pace, these savings will be depleted by roughly mid January next year. Uh, So it is essentially, say, three, four, five months away max. Um, And that is the exact timing where broader ramifications will be felt for services companies, for um, everything related to discretionary spending, et cetera, because households cannot cope with rising prices to the extent that they could a year ago. Um, And this is one of the things that I'm watching uh, month in and month out to to try and gauge uh, how um, fast this depletion of savings uh, will be in the coming months. And it also goes to show that wages do not really uh, follow um, suit with, with rising prices. Um, wage growth is, is cooling, um, as we can see from um, the next chart with the Atlanta Fed uh, wage growth tracker cooling uh, relatively fast now. Uh, we also see that savings as a percent of disposable income uh, is on the decline again after a small rebound through the early innings of the year. Uh, so it also sort of speaks uh, in favor of this this thesis that. Um, Savings will soon be depleted and uh, we will soon have issues with um, rising costs not being um, covered fully by by household budgets. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Speaking of budgets, um, it's fair to say that uh, the U.S., uh, administration is running a budget that um, does not really uh, or is not covered by by tax income. Uh, if you look at the marketable treasury issuance uh, for the fourth quarter using the so-called CBAC Q4 recommendations, uh, we'll move to basically uncharted territory for um, the uh, issuance of. US treasuries. Um, I know it's relatively old news we already got the confirmation of that uh, after the summer. Uh, but still, it seems like the market rates will continue to react to this story, um, since right now, we we struggle uh, to find buyers for bonds, simply. Uh, there is a reason why all banks try to say to to clients, buy bonds, buy bonds, buy bonds. It's because they want someone to buy them. Um, and right now, I um, I struggle to see who are the net buyers outside of US households, um, maybe a few hedge funds uh, included in that number. Uh, but it simply means that households currently carry the back in um, in, in the fixed income space, uh, and um, it's basically sad to watch, uh, in my opinion. So um, I, I, I basically consider the current ongoing events um, as triggers for renewed turbulence in fixed income space. I'm not sure that we've seen the highs yet in long bond yields in the US, given that we simply lack the bias uh, outside of US households. And the news we got from Japan earlier today um, uh, was a few hours before going on air here, uh, was that Bank of Japan now also struggling with inflation above target. Um, They look into uh, hiking their expected inflation um, in the forecast profile. And that typically means that they will do something to the yield curve control as well. Uh, So I'm starting to convince myself that the yield curve control could be moved, say, 25 or 50 basis points further in Japan, remember that they control the 10-year point, point. Um, and if they move that up, say, 25 or 50 basis points further, then, yeah, we will see the ramifications across global fixed income markets also in US treasuries um, and in European bonds, um, because the Japanese buyers are typically very large in international fixed income, and they're currently not that large given the local developments in interest rates. And all of this sounds like a very negative story for the US, Uh, but I want to talk a a little bit about the other side of the coin, namely Europe and China um, in particular. If we look at um, Chinese imports, um, it's very clear that the weak demand in China that we've seen all year has been one of the uh, main catalysts behind eurodollar. Um, moving lower again, so a stronger dollar versus the European currency. We once again see pressure on the Chinese wang this week. Uh, Dollar versus wang is trading above 730. It's typically been the intervention level for the uh, authorities in China. We see dollar-yen trading very close to 150, Um, also a reason for the Bank of Japan to do something. Uh, So again, the dollar is basically the strongest currency among peers despite all of the, the risks that I sort of listed for the U.S. economy. And I think that will remain the case until it's very evident that the U.S. is in a recession. Um, still some room away from, from that particular point. And that leads me to discuss the actual recession roadmap. Um, I've refrained from putting a timing on it so far. Um but now I'm starting to um, convince myself that uh, the probability is high enough uh, for me to put an actual date on that uh, recession in the US economy. I think Q1 uh, with the ultimate confirmation in Q2 uh, next year is the playbook you should expect. And as you can see from this short roadmap, um, I think there are a few steps that we need to understand. First, manufacturing rebounds, energy prices are on the rise, et cetera. That's the first part that typically happens just before the recession. Then in the first quarter next year, we start to see service companies suffering uh, because of still sticky wage growth compared to their um, selling prices. And then uh, after a while, we get that actual confirmation via negative payroll, payrolls, et cetera, into the second quarter of next year. And why do I see this roadmap ahead? Let me show a few charts on why that is. If we look at the orders to inventory, uh, uh, ratio for the U.S. manufacturing sector is actually rebounding. Um, That is something we typically see um, um, in the beginning of a cycle. Uh, And currently, I think there are some pretty compelling signs from the manufacturing sector, both in the U.S., but also elsewhere on the globe, that uh, it is about to rebound. But the cycle in manufacturing has been 100% off relative to services, and services make up. the by far largest components of the economy. Um, So when we look at uh, the recession probability in relation to this manufacturing story, I have a chart on the ISM manufacturing relative to a typical recession model. It's built upon a a methodology found within the Federal Reserve. Um, And as you can see, most recession models, they just track the manufacturing PMI because the manufacturing PMI is volatile. It tells you whether the economy is growing or slowing. Um, But in this cycle, nothing is normal uh, because of all of the the distortions from lockdowns and what have you during uh, the pandemic, Uh, meaning that I actually think that we can have a cocktail of short-term positivity in manufacturing at the same time as the service sector starting uh, to show signs of weakness Uh, and therefore currently most people will likely conclude that the recession risks are receding, while I actually think the exact opposite is the case. Um, the reason is the following. Um, if we look at real wages and profit margins, they're basically perfectly inversely correlated. So the next chart here on real wage wages versus profit margins um, is very telling for the outlook for service companies. If Wage inflation stays at say five to six percent, and consumer price inflation is around say two, three, four percent, just that range. I'm using broad ranges to just describe the story now. Five to six percent minus minus um, two to four percent equates a negative development in the uh, margin for a service company because they have such a high component of labor costs. Uh, And I think that's the scenario that we're staring directly into for the next uh, few quarters since wages, they lag the development seen elsewhere in the inflation picture. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. And will we ever get inflation back to target even uh, during a, a recession, if I'm right, that it will commence in Q1 and be confirmed in Q2 next year? I've spent uh, the first few days here in Spain um, on a topic of very um, of interest to to many but also especially to me um, and to everyone thinking about the monetary trends across the globe. And I think it's very, very interesting first of all to look at the supply of US dollars relative to the long-term trend. Um, if we use the so-called M2 measure, to measure the amount of US dollars in circulation in the economy. Relative to the trend seen from 2000 to 2020, we have an enormous spread still. Despite the, you can see the attempts from the Federal Reserve to bring the light blue line lower, but we still have a massive spread. uh, Meaning that there's basically an abundance of dollars in the system relative to the trend. Uh, And that is still an ongoing issue. You can even see then, we've seen some sort of stabilization, even a slight rebound in the M2 measure that makes it very tricky to get prices back to where they were. Um, Also from a growth perspective, because we're simply completely out of line with long-term trends in the sort of monetary trends in the US economy. Um, And something will have to give either prices or um, the development in the broad circulation of dollars. And so far, we haven't really seen enough damage done to bring inflation back to target soon in the US, I think. Uh, while it is much more likely in the eurozone that we will get to to that exa- uh, exact exact um, uh, target of, of of inflation at two percent, uh, if we look at inflation versus M two to M one gaps, um, this is slightly technical, uh, but it basically means that when you see falling inflation, um, there is a tendency for the gap between M two and M one to be. Uh, closed on the top side, uh, meaning that the broad circulation of euros will likely uh, drop from here or at least get closer to normal. And you can actually see it um, uh, in, in some of our research that the spread between monetary trends in the US and long-term trends is much wider than it is in Europe, in China, uh, in Japan, etc. Uh, and that leaves US inflation much trickier to bring down to 2% compared to peers. Uh, another reason to buy the dollar, I think, uh, another reason to uh, f- find some good companies in the USA able to pass through those prices um, compared to peers. Uh, if we look at the private credit growth, uh, I did a, a, a long talk with uh, Ash Bennington on this topic, was it a few months ago, uh, in our business cycle series. Um, if you look at our sort of proxy for private money creation, Uh, So we tried to sort of clean it for all of the um, balance sheet developments in uh, in the Federal Reserve. Then we are also seeing, first of all, a rebound in the US economy in terms of creating new money, uh, but also still a gap versus long-term trends. Not as bad as uh, if we include the Federal Reserve balance sheet, but still. um, And therefore, I think the likely conclusion here is that inflation will not. Get back to two percent. It will bottom above, and then um, likely uh, remain above two percent for the foreseeable future. Ultimate conclusion here: uh, I think the safest risk we want, or at all, in macro space right now, is still to steepen the yield curve. So the spread between the ten-year point and the two-year point will continue to widen uh, in favor of higher long-term bond yields relative to short-term bond yields. Um, there are various retail products available to trade this uh, 2 tenths steepener trade as well. Um, and I think this trade will work if we get to the recession because then the short-term rates will be lowered. And I also think if we, if we get again a prolonged discussion on when will this recession actually arrive now that we see rising energy prices, rising activity in manufacturing, then we will also see the steepener perform because we've seen it basically lately. Uh, that uh, long-term bond yields are very connected to this story of rising energy uh, and rising manufacturing activity. Uh, so it basically gains in both of those scenarios. If nothing happens, then the the trade will not really work, but it will just uh, basically fluctuate around where it is. I think. Um, so I think it's a very strong risk reward. As it both, it's got you covered in a recession scenario, but it also uh, helps your portfolio in an environment like we've seen over the past month or two with rising energy prices and all that. So it gives a nice diversification to, uh, to the broader uh, portfolio setup. Um, let's have a look for questions. Uh, we, we have one in terms of uh, how the steepener um, sort of fits together with the policy from the Federal Reserve. And, and I think it's pretty clear right now that quantitative tightening is a part of this. Uh, because offloading bonds will typically mean that investors, um, those left basically, uh, will have to ask for a bigger premium to take uh, fixed income risk over time. Uh, so I think QT is a part of this, the balance sheet drawdown essentially. Um, and therefore, yes, the Federal Reserve policy is to a large extent connected to how the yield curve shape is, is formed. Um, ultimately, the yield curve is very driven by expectations uh, so if we get firmer expectations of a recession again currently they're pretty much off the table i think then expect the very front of the um expectations for the federal reserve so 24 to include more rate cuts in such case that could be the driver of the curve in in the precision case. I think I will leave it at uh, that for this week's edition of Steno Signals uh, live from Mallorca in uh, in Spain. Uh, once again, thank you very much uh, for watching this show and all of the feedback that we get. Remember that this is a window into my thinking. Um, I cannot guarantee that you have the same risk appetite or the same horizon as I have. But what I can guarantee is that I will cover these macro ideas on a running basis uh, here at Real Vision. And if you like what you saw, then you can uh, also use the exclusive offer for the Real Vision community to join um, uh, Standard Research as a subscriber. Uh, I will, in a 100% transparent way, elaborate on trade ideas, how I construct the portfolio, etc. And and we also produce um, research on Japan, China, Europe, the U.S. We basically cover the whole globe uh, from a macroeconomic perspective, always with the aim of making money again thank you for watching this week and I'll see you again in two weeks time for the next edition of stenal signals